I have a sneaking suspicion that if you're watching this, you are an audacious leader. You have high standards and every day you want to, no, no, you need to get things done. How frustrated then are you at the end of the day when your to-do list is just as big as when you started your day? Are you able to fit everything that is your priority into your day? And that's coming up next on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that helps small business owners and entrepreneurs just like you dare to be the exception. Join our host, service expert and master of experiences, Mark Hain, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you develop your business. So you can take the time to work on your business, not just in your business. Here's your host, Mark Hain. Welcome to this episode. I am so glad that you're here to join me. This is where small business owners and entrepreneurs pick up core skill sets to help them work on their business, not just in their business. I'm your host, service expert and master of experiences, Mark Hain. And today, I just want to thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for checking us out. My guest today is productivity catalyst, Claire Kumar, and we will be talking about how to combine productivity as well as well-being to develop sustainable performance. And we'll get to that in just a moment. In the meantime, feel free to be part of the conversation. Wherever you're consuming this content, I'd love it if you put some comments in the comment box, share what your experiences are, and go ahead and follow this feed. You can go to iTunes to like it, and please feel free to give a review of this episode. It really helps with the rankings, and it really helps in other people being able to see this episode. And like always, I encourage you, if you think this is valuable content, go ahead and share it with somebody that you know could use it. I will be the first one to admit that, well, I fill up my days. My agenda is full. I am driven to get things done. I still struggle with prioritizing what's important, things like my family, my health, my honey-do list with what the business demands of me. I'm one of those sad, sad sacks that, you know, if I'm not producing in my business, then I just don't feel validated enough. But that brings us to our question of the day. If you're like me, what's one area of your life you wish you could prioritize more? Please go ahead and share it in the comment box. Your conversation, your feedback will help other people who may be in the same situation. As I mentioned, my guest today is Claire Kumar. Claire is a productivity catalyst and a highly sensitive executive coach. She helps professionals improve productivity and well-being while avoiding exhaustion and, of course, the ever-damaging burnout. She is in huge demand for her keynotes, her workshops, and her coaching while maintaining connection through her online community called the Happy Space Pod. Welcome, Claire. It's so nice to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Mark. Good to see you. <laughs> it's great to have you. Before we get into our today's topic, could you maybe dig a little bit deeper into what you do for your clients? Sure. So you mentioned the two words sustainable performance in the introduction, which is really what I'm all about. And the reason behind that is I believe if we're able to keep giving and sustainably perform, not head towards burnout, then we are able to get that sense of accomplishment and fulfillment. We can be really proud of our lives. The giving, you know, sustainable giving is getting, right? So my, all my work is really around encouraging individuals and leaders 
to invite the best performance from everyone on their team. I talk about getting the best from the most and the most from the best. And sometimes what happens is we're, we're missing groups of people. So if there's a lot of, you know, the coaching is either one-on-one or in group, and it's about creating some mindset shifts around what's important about the belief that you are truly important and it's okay to set boundaries and stake claims to create that rich, fulfilling life. So coaching workshops and speaking are the primary ways that I uh, serve my clients. I also do a ton of media. So just this week, Reader's Digest and CBC interviews last week and The Kit had a piece on uh, dealing with digital clutter. So I spent a lot of time contributing some thoughts out there for people too. So you can find free ways to you know, get my perspective on things sometimes. Oh, that's amazing. You know, because it is not easy being a business manager or be an owner of a business. Have you seen through COVID-19 a difference in the levels of stress that executives and business owners are having to endure now? Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because we hear messages in the government, pay attention to mental health. But I think we've actually been missing the practical things that we can do and that we need to be encouraged that this is a long-term game. We have a lot, we're, it's, this isn't a sprint by any means. And so we really need to embed and understand what we need and how we're going to claim that space to get it. I mean, NordVPN, which is one of the VPN providers, they provided some research early in the pandemic that said the day had extended by 2.4 hours. And the last workshop I did company-wide, people said the biggest issue they were dealing with is blurred boundaries. And so we have this erosion now, since work landed in everybody's living room, we have this erosion of where does work end? And where does my personal time start? And it's very hard to say you can, you can walk away from the phone or shut down the computer, but we really, really, really need to do that. And we're pretty bad at it, I'm, I'm thinking. I know I am. It, it, is, it is tough. I mean, I've worked at home for 15 plus years now. It's interesting. It, there are different personalities too, I'll just say, uh, because some people like to integrate work and life and there's a night a rhythm to it for example in my personal choices i will never go to costco on the weekend right so i'm really happy to take a thursday morning and go to costco early and i might work on sunday so my opportunity and and, and just being able to to work for myself it can be very flexible but i urge people to sculpt the life that really serves them and uh, once you know what that looks like, then you can gracefully defend it and be more common in control of that time. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so interesting because like I'm a baby boomer. And so mm -hmm. I was brought up that, you know, you go to work, you work your tail off. It is, you know, that you are there to serve the businesses. And now mm -hmm. we have five different demographics, five different generations in the workforce. Have you seen that there's a switch or a change between those demographics as far as priority setting and that sort of thing? Well, I think I was born ahead of my time uh, because I was that outspoken millennial who was not a millennial, right? So I think the values haven't necessarily shifted. It's just that the culture and that we're in, we're, we've now got, thank goodness, people that are willing to put voice to 
the experiences they want and the richness of life that they want. And they look at it holistically and they'll speak up about it. I mean, I remember it was 1995. I interviewed for a job and I'd already been working some years in the workforce and I'd already accrued three weeks of vacation or risen to that level. And the company I was interviewing, by the way, which was one of my most favorite jobs, I'm so glad I worked there, but they were like, well, no, everybody gets two weeks. And I'm like, not this girl. She's, I'm not going to take the job unless three weeks are on the table. And, they, and I remember distinctly the HR individual saying to me, nobody to like declines a job because of the vacation. And I said, you're looking at her. Not many people at that time would speak up about what they want. And so now at least we're getting a little bit louder in that. I think it always do, does come back down to the economics of the workforce though, and whether employees feel they have some leverage. Um, What I'm hoping that the pandemic has done is we've now got compassion as something we talk about as a core leadership skill that needs to be in place. So we can't forget that as we go forward. We needed it all the way along. There was just no room for it in the discussion at the corporate mindset at the table. So we need to hold on to that because life goes sideways all around us all the time. It's for the first time we were up against a collective challenge. It was not the first time. I mean, during wars and so on, there were collective challenges. But in our generation, this latest generation, this is is our first experience with a universal threat and the reactions individually and in leadership that have happened. Right. And internally in corporations, the the change that that's Mm -hmm. happening. You know, I'm I'm really Mm -hmm. concerned and really kind of put off uh, by all the reports that we're seeing now about how as COVID-19 wraps up, we're going to start seeing an egress of people leaving their companies. And the majority of them are being women that, you know, somewhere along the way, this idea of being burnt out of the extra 2.2.4 hours in the day, you know, the extra things that are happening now is it's getting harder and harder for women specifically to find that work-life balance. Well, the load has for many, many years and still continues to fall more heavily on the shoulders of women. So we have children that are asking their moms 50% more than they're asking their fathers for homework help. Um, We've carried this mental load of planning the doctor's appointments and planning summer camps and celebrate the men out there who are rising to the occasion. But the only way it happened in my family was for me to consciously say, I'm not doing this anymore. I need you to step up. And it's hard, right? Because here's the thing. Women generally marry a man who's older. Not always, but generally we marry a man who's older or a partner who's older. By default, that person is likely making more than we are. So if we make a family decision around economics, it's almost compelling to say, well, clearly your career is going to be more important. And so I really encourage couples to look at this and say, let's play a long game because How do we share, maybe we can make a choice to share the load here. And maybe as a male partner, I can go to my leaders and say, I need flexibility because my wife's career is also important. And I think that is one significant approach to slow down this she session that we're in. And also I I give leadership workshops. I invite leaders to be sure they are asking their workforce equally about the flexibility and what each person needs to succeed and to not make assumptions that the women are going to be the ones to leave early or put the boundaries. Men need to do the same thing because clearly we've seen more stepping up of men and and with paternity leaves and things, we're, we're seeing this interest. I know numerous men who have been really thrilled to partake more in their you know, when they have a lovely new child or new member of the family, they're able to spend more time and integrate. Well, 
it has to continue and it has to be embedded in the way we approach work and work and flexibility. Yes. Yeah. And we've seen the tides turn. It's unfortunate that the a recent UN report says that, you know, what's going to happen with, what did you call it? The, the she recession? She session. She session. The, the she mm -hmm. session. Uh, what a great, what a great little terminology. But they're saying that this could set women back 30 years. And to me, that's just scary because you know, there's a reason why kids ask moms for help more than they ask their dads because moms are smarter. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, it's interesting. There's some feminine nurturing skills that we have a huge appetite for in this world now. We need more of the nurturing, the curiosity, uh, all of those skills, which have been considered feminine traits. We sure. need them in everybody. Yeah. So we need to embrace our feminine side, men, and <laughs> in your yeah. leadership Amen as well. Amen to you, sister. <laughs> I, it's, it's so true. You know, the, you know, we went from, you know, the whole industrial age was all about, you know, getting people's hands working and getting them to be highly productive. Since we've gone now and we've evolved into this knowledge worker age where now it's, it's about the souls and the minds. And how do you connect with the souls? Definitely not with the carrot and the stick. Correct. And we need to understand that we have different temperaments out there and we don't all work the same way. We already know we have introverts and extroverts, right? And the fabulous ambivert in the middle who's got a mixture of both of those tendencies. Mm -hmm. It's about where you like, where you draw your energy. Do you draw your energy from being in a crowd of people or do you draw your energy from being in a quiet space? I'm on the just slightly extroverted side of being an ambivert, blessed to be able to experience both. But if you're forced to be in one situation when your body's telling you it needs a bit of the other, there's a stress in that situation. What we need to have in our work environments, which we've been able to get for the large part at home, because I can guarantee for anybody working at home, there is a bed steps down the hallway. You can take time to rest and restore. And it's not available in most offices, although it's becoming more understood. And so I was talking to one of my clients last week, and we were talking about this idea of you know, productivity and well-being are completely enmeshed. And so I can't talk about productivity without talking about well-being. Clients reached out to me and they were like, I need help with my task list and my calendar. And they're thinking of all the traditional productivity stuff. And inevitably, we get to a conversation about your ability to think and hold your attention, which relates to how much sleep you got last night and have you exercised and are you eating well? Are you fortifying the engine of every cell kind of thing? And so we can't escape understanding what we need to be sustaining this human animal, this is who we are as an animal. And we don't, like one of the analogy I used with this client was just imagine a mouse in a cage, okay? So the cage is a little bit sad, but imagine that's the analogy to being in your office. So imagine a happy mouse. The happy mouse is sometimes running on the wheel or not. My sister said she had a mouse and all it did was climb the climb the bars. It was not a treadmill mouse. Uh, sometimes it would be foraging and, and nesting. It might be eating and it might be sleeping. If you put the mouse in the treadmill and you know, closed up the side. So it was on that treadmill for eight hours it would not happen. That would not be a happy mouse. And so if we look at us and we say, okay, you're an animal, what do you need to be a happy animal? It's a mix of all those things. It is not eight hours of one thing at a desk that doesn't move and you're trapped there. So we have to understand our relationship to what we need. I call them productivity table stakes. 
And when we, when we know what those things are, then we can say, oh, I can sculpt my day to have those things. And then I can worry about playing a graceful defense to make sure I get them. Sounds wonderful. You know, I, I would really love to dig, I think, a little bit deeper into, I, I realize that there's some people watching this going, well, you know, I'm super productive, even though they might not have the balance of their life. And there's certain symptoms I'm sure that they share with other people in similar circumstances. So I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that, and we'll get to that right after this. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with a new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Haim. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at markhaim.com. Welcome back. I am speaking with Productivity Catalyst and Executive Coach Claire Kumar. There are people out there who are Mr. Productivity or Miss Productivity. They are like, oh, beating their chest. I get so much done in the course of my day. And they might have success that's defined by how much money they have in the bank or what they own or even position titles. But from what you've been talking about, there's more to this idea of being productive than just those indicators? Well, I think we have to think of the life experience that we want. As far as I know, I'm only here for one life, one life journey. Maybe, maybe there are other options, but this is the only one I know about. And so I figure I want to shape this as best as I can so I can be proud of the choices I'm making. I, this comes from losing my dad at a, a fairly young age. He was 52 when I lost him. And I just turned 53. And so I feel like I've won, I've won because I've made it past this horrific experience in my life of losing my dad. But looking at him working really, really hard for most of his life, he was a surgeon. He was very generous with his patients. And then when he fell ill, he took joy in other things. He painted, he wrote. Uh, all the while along, he was a tennis player. He was a gardener. He tried to manage, you know, and integrate this life. He was, you know, a, a, a loving member of the family. But I felt he was so cheated passing so early. And I thought, gosh, what happens if you don't build a life that you can enjoy all the way along so that you can say, I'm proud of my choices. If, if You know, if I'm unlucky tomorrow and I step in front of a bus, God forbid, am I proud of what I've accomplished and how I've loved and how I've lived. And so that led me to do a lot of soul searching. And some people who have worked with a coach might be familiar with the concept of the wheel of life. Every diagram I saw was basic, sometimes too complicated and not colorful. So I created my own version of that, which is an exercise. I'll show it to you now. This is an exercise I invite people to think about purpose, health, lifestyle, relationships, development, and play. And each of those areas, what I want you to do is reflect on your level of satisfaction in each of those areas. And that is an opportunity for you to rate yourself between zero and 10 for each item. Put a, put a dot and then join up the dots. So you get some resemblance of a circle. And in most of the workshops I do, we get higgledy-piggledy arrangements and some areas which are really deflated. Well, that's a cue to say, you know what? I'm going to feel better 
with my life if I bring that up? And so then we look at from a coaching perspective, from a personal development perspective, what, what things might you do? What, what might you want to stop doing? My, what might you want to start doing in the next little while to raise your satisfaction in, in this area? I mean, work can be so demanding. And if we don't have these boundaries, our relationships are suffering. Our health is suffering. Our sense of play is not even on the list. The number of people are, that look at me blankly and say, play. I watch my kids play. Does that count? And and they've, they've like completely lost touch. And and play is such a part of creativity and innovation. We can't lose touch with that side of ourselves. It's really unfair to, to think that shouldn't be for grownups. For people who've done those exercises, you know, my big mm-hmm. fear is when the, when they do those exercises, it becomes a bandaided thing. Mm-hmm. You take you take now. I understand that you have a three a three part framework called CPR. Is this is this yeah. wheel part of that? Yeah. So it's productivity CPR. So the idea is that we can revive your performance to keep it sustainable through productivity CPR, right? And yeah, the CPR stands for three things. C stands for compass. And that's setting your intention for what kind of life you want to have, whether it's professionally, personally, what kind of health do you need? What kind of relationships do you want to have? I call it the lifetime management strategy. I put that in, a, in an ebook, in a really expensive ebook, to take people through that exercise in about two hours. Lifetime management playbook. And I call it a playbook because, again, I want this sense of fun. My, like, I, I really, my whole point is yes, we want efficiency and effectiveness, but we want enjoyment. We want productivity, but we need to have pleasure in with the productivity. Perform, you know, productivity and performance, fine, but where's the pleasure? Where we need to embed joy into what we're doing and, and not dismiss it as a later. Sure. People are getting a real good sense of who you are and how you serve. I mean, your passion is absolutely so transparent. It's amazing. Could you just let everybody know how they can get in touch with you if they want to explore this a little bit deeper with you, especially this lifetime management uh, wheel and the process it takes to get there? Thanks, Mark. Yeah, you can find my website at clairekumar.com. I joke that it's Claire with no third eye. (laughs) So Claire without an eye, clairekumar.com. And you'll see a lot of information there that is actually just there for you to absorb, whether it's through the blog or through the media page where I've got a lot of media articles kind of organized into productivity, organization, or work-life integration. So follow your interest and learn there. And in the product section, you'll find that ebook there. Nice. Excellent. And you said there was an ebook that covers a lifetime management. Yeah, I call it Lifetime Management Playbook. And where do you yeah. find that? On the product page on the website. On the website. Uh, you'll scroll down and you'll you'll find it right there. It's $9.99 right now. So it's 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 like less than two cups of coffee. There you go. And if you go to one of the high-end coffee places, it's a cup and a half of coffee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, so we've covered the first of your three parts, the compass. So the mm-hmm. second. CPR. So P is for performance. Compass was all around setting intention, right? But so it's great. If you don't know where you're aiming, that's the biggest loss of productivity you'll experience. If you're actually planning to go east, but you're traveling west, we've got a problem, right? So P though is about managing your attention, which is continually under threat so that you can actually achieve those intentions. So you might be, you know, knowing you want to go east, but there's people pulling you north and south, even as you want to go east. 
And so you're absolutely off kilter. And technologies designed to do this, our own brains kind of do this to us sometimes. And so we need to understand what we need as human animals to hold our attention. And that's what the performance piece is all about. And in the performance piece, I put a model together, and this is after working with people for over a decade now. And it's looking at what you need in your life every day to be able to bring and sustain your energy. And so you can hold it on those intentions. And so I can show you, I like visuals to kind of bring things to life. This is what I call productivity table stakes. So table stakes, I use the word table stakes because they are items that you need to have in your life to be able to show up at your best. You don't have these, you can't play your best hand. I'm not a poker player, but that's that's, that's the best I can do. And the, the, this is an eight-sided table, which is also common in poker. So that's that analogy that appeals to, to both men and women. But the other thing I want you to notice is there's some bevel cuts in this in this image, it looks like the top of a diamond, for example. And what that is meant to be an analogy for is all of the eight items that are on this are connected to each other. So mindset, you'll see at the top, I think mindset is the most important thing to take care of right now. And if we can take care of mindset, then we have a better opportunity at taking care of those seven other items on the list. So there's, there's eight different things to consider there. I spend probably most of my time on mindset and a lot of time talking to people about sleep. Wow, really, eh? Sleep, you, sleep mm-hmm. is a big component of that. Huge. The number of people who t- tell me that, oh, you know what, I know I need, as the National Sleep Association says, I know I need seven to nine hours, so I'm getting seven, so I think I'm fine, or I'm getting six and a half, so I'm close. Let's throw out the, uh, the National Sleep Association seven to nine. And how about we figure out how much sleep your body wants? How about we figure out your sleep number? So hashtag sleep number. It's something you need to know because only then when you know it, you can defend it. So what if you're somebody who actually needs nine, but because the uh, NSA says, oh, you're fine between seven and nine, you're shortchanged by two hours. It's criminal. It should be it should be that we we undertake understanding the amount of sleep our body needs. So that's often my first challenge is an opportunity for people to find out their sleep number and it's it's not that hard to do. Basically you 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 figure out what time you went to get up. And I recommend going back from that time by 8 hours to start. Why 8 hours because we generally sleep 5 sleep cycles to feel very rested in a day. And the sleep cycles are 75 to 90 minutes long. So let's be generous and call it five times 90. We get seven and a half hours. Let's allow a little time to fall asleep because I don't know about you, but not everybody falls asleep as soon as they put their head on the pillow. Although I am about a minute or two generally. (laughs) So it used to be about 40 minutes in my twenties to fall asleep. But now it's, now it's a minute or two. My, my partner looks at me and goes, I cannot believe how fast you fall asleep. So once you know that, if you can wake up before your alarm, feeling rested, you found your number. If you've still woken up with the alarm, you need to go back another 15 minutes and back another 15 minutes and back another 15 minutes. And if you get to nine hours, then you need to talk to your doctor because something else may be wrong. (laughs) Okay. But you know, somewhere between seven and nine, I found mine was seven and a half. 
And it is absolutely life-changing to wake up without an alarm, feeling rested. You have clarity of mind. Your brain, your, your brain has done the healing and your body has done the healing that it's actually doing while you sleep. You've had memory consolidation, so you would better be prepared for the test or the, the cognitive challenge that you have before you. So honoring sleep is one of the, the things that I think most people just go, oh, I know, but I don't do it. It's mm -hmm. so refreshing to hear you say this because, you know, there are videos out there like Arnold Schwarzenegger was, was interviewed. I don't know if you've ever heard his quote where he was in front of a group of people and he says, you need, you know, six hours of sleep. But people are like, oh. he goes, oh, I know you're looking at me. You need eight hours of sleep. No, you just have to sleep basta. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we have we have these things, and then we have the story about Marky Mark, right? Oh, he gets up and he does his workouts at like gets up at two thirty to go and do his workout. Did they make part of the story that he probably goes to bed at seven? Exactly. Right. It was never part of the story. This right. radical, like burning the candle at one end, potentially, it wasn't there. To see. He, there's no way he doesn't get enough sleep. Sure. Right. So so let's make the full picture part of the story. So we really understand it's not, you, you know, you can't have one. All the news anchors, if they were going to show up on morning television or radio and sound coherent and, and sustain this, there is no way they are not fiercely protecting their sleep. Sure. Yeah. It's so and so what about you mentioned you alluded to it a little bit earlier about naps. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. is what's your theory uh, on naps? If somebody's got their full seven and a half or eight and a half hours? Is it okay well, to so be napping? Okay, so we have to look at the time. We also have to look at the quality of that sleep, right? So if you were in bed for seven and a half hours, but there was a thunderstorm that woke you up and, and yanked you out of your sleep, or let's say you had a cat or a child or a snoring partner, you know, any of these things can disrupt your sleep. If they're disrupting your sleep, you're not getting that deep quality of rest. Sure. So even if you were in bed seven and a half hours, you might well need a brain break, a brain cleanse, if you will, sometime during the day. So if you can allow yourself rest before you have to get up, go for it. But sometimes we still have to appear. We've got commitments. We still have to make our way to those things. Have enough flexibility in your day to allow for 20-minute power naps. You can get a refreshment in, in 10 minutes. Salvador Dali, though, was I think he took this to an extreme. He would say, sleep upright in a chair with a key in your hand. As soon as you fall asleep, you drop the key and it wakes you up. And he would attest to that cleansing his brain. My guess is you want to go a little bit further than that. But anybody who's taken even a five or 10 minute cat nap, you feel the cleanse in your brain. You feel sharper. You wake up and you're not you, why we want to cut the power nap off is because we don't want to get into REM sleep, right. rapid eye movement sleep, that phase, because have you ever had a nap that went a little longer and you wake up and you're like, oh, I is it Thursday? Is it Monday? I, I, did I have breakfast? Like what is going on? It's so disorienting, right? You really don't want that. And it might also disrupt your sleep at night. So we keep it to 20 minutes and under. Nice. I love that. Part of, I think, the challenge and I think the mindset change that needs to happen mm. is you're not weak because you want to take a nap. <laughs> you're smart. Thomas Edison, Benjamin Franklin, Einstein, like Michelangelo. These are productive people, I would say. They were respected for their contributions in the world. Sure. Be like them. Be like them. Yeah. Take a nap. Pr protect it. And, and hashtag no sleep shame.
Nice. Hashtag right. no, sleep, no shame. sleep shame. Nice. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. Let me know. Like, yeah, reach out to me, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. Hashtag no sleep shame, right? That is, if you, if this resonates with you, I look for that hashtag because I created it. So I look for it and I will be loving to see your comments about that. Tell me if you're, you feel empowered to take a, take a nap now. Nice. I love it. I lo absolutely love it. I, I was working in a municipal government and we would have these meetings like at 1 32 o'clock in the afternoon and like clockwork, <laughs> one or two of our members would start doing the whole biting the eyes thing <laughs> and doing the, yeah. this, the, the nods. Right. And it's like, you know, yeah. why do, and it's such a challenge. And I find now that everybody's on zoom and everybody's concentrating <laughs> on the screen their minds now are just working so hard that I think we absolutely need to take that 20 minutes to have that quick little down. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. I actually talk about taking brain breaks and having even shorter ones in your day. So you say after this, this is, it's an intense thing to be listening. Mm -hmm. It's an intense thing to be trying to, to pay attention to you, to stay looking at the camera to be conscious of the thread of conversation. We're, we're doing a lot cognitively and it is exhausting. Even after this, it's like, I know I will need something different to do. I can't go into high, a high cognitive demand task after running a workshop, after a coaching session, because it's so uh, demanding. So know what to expect of your brain, right? If we look at Stephen King as an author, an accomplished, prolific author, three, four hours a day writing. Yeah. That's it. It's not an eight hour, nine hour day. It's not happening. So let's be reasonable about what we can expect. Let's structure focus time in our day so that we preserve those blocks of uninterrupted good stuff and that we allow some mind-wandering brain recovery brain breaks. It could be a nap. It could be a walk around the block. It could be some deep breathing. Even a two-minute breathing exercise can stop the cortisol flow, calm the atomic nervous system and bring you to a place of feeling replenished to be able to then contribute again. I love it. And to that, I would like to now get into the R of your framework, but we'll do that right after this. When you're delivering an important speech to a huge audience, <laughs> it's easy to lose your place or go way over time. <clears throat> Give yourself an advantage with the Pro Speaker Presentation Speech Timer app. No more checking your watch or calling for time. The Pro Speaker Presentation Speech Timer app keeps you on track with easy to see timers, even changing color for visual prompts during your speech. And you can set audio cues to practice or set it to vibrate so you don't even have to look. Be the pro you know you are. Download the app at speakerpresentationtimer.com. So Claire, in past episodes, we talked about our programming, the things that are holding us back all the time. How much of what we're talking about today is seated in our own insecurities? Oh, insecurities. That's an interesting one because there's, there's perhaps the practices that we have. There's also the culture that we're immersed in and the societal pressure to be a certain way and what's valued. I think what, what I encourage clients to do, though, who are wanting this sense of sustainable performance, well-being, calm and control back in their day. And often it means navigating workload with leaders and being able to feel confident in saying, my cup is full, I'm working, I know I'm working well. I, I think developing skills that we've never been taught, like nobody taught us time management. We were taught how to tell time. We weren't taught how to integrated into our lives and what our relationship to task and time ought to be. And so we, you know, we, we, we struggle. And I think the ability to 
hone some skills so that you can feel confident that you have an approach that means you feel as on top of things as you can be, now enables you to have a discussion that says, my bucket's full, actually. I know I can, I can handle this next Wednesday, but I can't do it today. So is there something you want to reprioritize or is next Wednesday okay? And so it facilitates these discussions because a lot of my clients, they're like, they don't know how to articulately push back because they're not even sure how full the bucket is. They just know they're feeling like they can't take on anything else. And a lot are, they're such beautiful people I work with. They're people pleasers. And the people pleasers are cognitively smart, high achievers. They're saying yes, saying yes. And because somebody is saying yes, you give them more work. And so all of a sudden there's an, a, a cycle until they, they, they have no choice but to say either I check out or I need some help. And my role is to try and help before people want to make a decision. It, it's either investing in themselves to get this common control or it's a real, you know what, this is not working for me. And, and my, my thought is, can we get it working for you? Nice. We talked about genders before and uh, women mm -hmm. in the workplace. Do you find it, it more skews on the female side of, of the work? Nope. Nope. You're saying it straight down. Is there nope. My, most of my, most of my coaching clients right now are men. In wow. fact, with kids, without kids, different ages, we were never taught this and we're still not taught in school. This kind of attention management and body management. We're not taught to take care of ourselves and manage our, manage our attention. And then we're not taught the time and task mastery piece unless we are one of the people that has an individual education plan now. We have a learning disability or we have perhaps ADHD or some kind of challenge. Then we're taught these skills. Hello, education systems. How is this not brought in? And I'll tell you why. Because half the teachers don't know. Right. And so how are we expecting our teachers to serve up work in a way that's chunked down so a child can say, I have a project due six weeks from now and not wait six weeks or five and a half weeks to start that project. So the, the sad thing is multi-generational. None of us have been taught. Some of us have had, and this is what happened to me, I think, because I'm a highly sensitive person, I was innately motivated to figure out ways to calm my world. And so that's where all the organization practices and productivity skills came from. I was like figuring it out. My daughter's like this. She makes the best lists. And we're all, you know, she has strengths in some areas and still working on other things. My son, he wasn't so keen to figure things out on his own. He would, he has got such an elegant mind in terms of simplifying some processes. But one of his teachers at school and friends said, we need to intervene. We need to like get you organized. You know, we have different appetites for this information. And some of us, come to figure it out, but many of us don't. So park the shame, embarrassment, park all of that, because this is real skill building. And a, a big part of it is it's tuning in before we lean in. And so we've got to cultivate the self-awareness to understand, you mentioned insecurity. Is it an insecurity or do I have a skill deficit or just do I simply not know? Am I being a perfectionist? Am I procrastinating? Why am I procrastinating? We get into understanding all that. That's why it's such a custom approach because we're all different and our challenges and mindsets and biases are all different. I love it. The third part of your DPR framework, of course, is the R. Would you like to delve mm -hmm. a little bit into that? Sure. I call it rituals. 
and rituals are all about those happy habits you need for excellence in execution. So we went from intention, setting what we want to do, to attention, managing our energy so we can get there, and then now focus on execution. And these are the tried and true practices that you will embed in your foundational way to work so that you can meet those intentions that you set. It's really important that we think of them in a, in a loving way. So like policies, procedures, routines. I thought, you know what? Those words don't add honor to what we're doing. So that's why I use the word ritual because it up levels that which we choose to do. And so I don't care if it's your laundry, inputting into your CRM, paying your employees, paying your taxes. How can we look at these acts with the honor of self-love and love for those we care about or we might employ from a business perspective? How do we look at these tasks with a reverence that brings a different kind of energy to what we have to do? When I saw the word ritual, I go, yeah, okay, it's habits. But the way that you've just described it now, this is so much deeper than what we do with habits. Yeah, it's like, well, in the word hack, it's like, ah, sometimes we have hacks. Okay, that's a shortcut kind of thing, but it kind of diminishes the, the word. I hate the word clutter, for example. I hate it because it's like calling everything you own weeds. It's like just because it happens to be in the wrong spot, they could be beautiful flowers, but they're in the wrong spot. And I don't like to go and say, we're going to declutter. I like to say, we're going to treasure hunt and we're going to edit and curate your space. And we're going to choose the things that you want to have. And then we're going to release the things that you don't. And this is why I think Marie Kondo was so, she resonated. It was the Shintoism that she brought into her work, this reverence and honor and appreciation for things. And so we've kind of lost that in North America as we accumulated more and more and more and more and more is better, faster is better in our culture. And if we can slow down and think about ritual, if we think about ritual, there's reverence, there's, there's honor. It's not a rushed thing. And so if we can embed that kind of feeling in how we live, we're naturally going to be calmer and feel more in control. Even if we're not in control of everything, we're going to feel that sense of, I've got things, I've got things. And if I don't have things, I can trust people around me do. How can the audience now look at this information and say, okay, I want to go from a habit to a ritual. What do they need to do in order to make that connection? Oh, I love it. It it reminds me of something I just read in a friend of mine, uh, Jeffrey Shaw. I don't know if you know him. He's written one book, Lingo, and he's just about to launch his next book, The Self-Employed Life. He talks about one of his workspaces that he uses to pay bills and do that kind of processing. He says he lights a candle in that space to provide a scent, which makes him feel happier being there. That's one example of how you can make something more joyful. It might be like the pink wall behind me. I'm, I love being in this energy. I actually have full mirrors across from me. There's a closet across from me with mirror doors. And so I can see that pink in front of me. And then I, and, and I know it's behind me projecting into the screen and that gives you some energy. And, and even these silly pink glasses, you know, there's, there's certain things that infuse joy. And, and so even if you're choosing a, um, a to-do list or a journal, choose things that you have a relationship to that you're, that you're drawn to work with, that they're magnetic for you, and then be that magnet to your client. So I think it's, it's sort of about energy and, and including the energy you want in the way you do things. Brilliant. Brilliant. I do imagine that some people 
would be tuning into this and saying, well, that's great for you, but not so great <laughs> for me. How would you advise those people who just don't know where to take this information or how to start? Somebody was talking about this, this wheel of life, the satisfaction survey, right? And I was dealing with uh, talking to a room of about 100 women who had been through really challenging times. And one of the women put their hand up and said, I don't want to strive for 10 out of 10. Why should I even have to think about 10 out of 10? What does 10 out of 10 mean? And why should I go for it? And I said to her, to, to make it personal, I, I shared a story. It's about four, almost five years ago now. I have an autoimmune issue. And when that autoimmune issue flares up, I can have pretty debilitating uh, symptoms. It can take me half a day to kind of get dressed and make something to eat and make my bed if I'm lucky. And I told her, I said, on that day, my 10 was completely different. My 10 wasn't the 10 it is today based on what I can do today. So if, if you're feeling a pressure or a resistance to achieving something that you don't think is for you, make it for you. Make it be about you and what's going to bring you that sense of satisfaction and achievement. What, what I invite people to do, and this is the position I want you to be in, is I want you to be the CFO in your life. And by CFO, I'm not talking chief financial officer. I'm talking chief fulfillment officer. I, you can't outsource that. So we can have a good discussion about how you can try, you know, you can, good luck with that. You can get help to accomplish things for sure, but you cannot outsource the CFO position in your life. This has been absolutely stellar, Claire. I've learned so much and I, you know, everything that you've been talking about is like, I can really apply this here and I, I can really apply this here. And I love the fact that you talked about this thing that my 10 today might be different from what my 10 was yesterday. The bandwidth is slightly different and being cautious and intentional that we could still take joy in what we did manage to accomplish on bad days. Uh, I love that. Could you just summarize for me the, your productivity CPR? Yeah, sure. So productivity CPR is the holistic model for sustainable performance. C is compass, setting intentions so you know what you want to achieve. P is performance, and that's about managing your attention. So you can bring it to those intentions you said were important. And then R is for rituals, those acts of reverence that you choose to do to be excellent in your execution. You know, I just want to virtually hug you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. As, as we Thank wrap you. up, do you have any last thoughts about what we've been talking about today? Well, I hope I hope there's something that listeners have been that you've been taking away from this conversation that that maybe applies to you and you're feeling motivated to make one small thing. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. I, I have another hashtag. I love hashtags. Hashtag little big things. Sometimes it's a very small thing, a very small shift. It could be that, you know what? I'm going to go to bed at 11. I'm going to honor my body, mind, spirit, and I'm going to set my bedtime to 11 because, yeah, I'll be ready to go feeling rested by seven in the morning. And to do that, I'm going to set myself a bedtime alarm. It's a little big thing to have made that step, and it could be life-changing. So I invite you to all look for those little big things in your life that'll make a huge difference.
Thank you so much. Could you just remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you? Oh, thank you. Yes. Come and see me at clairekumar.com. That's Claire with no third eye. I some people autopiloted in clairekumar.com. And I have a special invitation for you. If you recognize that you might be a highly sensitive individual, which overlaps often with ADHD and other um, disorders, which we can talk about whether they should be just disorders or just differences. But if you have any challenge focusing or concentrating, I've created a Facebook community. It's on Facebook now and it's called Happy Space Pod. So happyspacepod.com. You can find me in a really supportive community there. I'm sharing strategies like this there daily. And it's a community that's like-minded and supporting each other. And it's all professionals who want greater productivity and well-being. Amazing. Thank you. And the, the link is in the show notes. So feel free to be able to punch it and join Claire on her Happy Pod. Is it happy pod? Happy space pod. Happy space well, yeah, I'll, I'll show you, you have, the, you the have graphic. a graphic. It's cute. <laughs> there it's we go. Cute. There. And this is the the HSP is the subliminal highly sensitive person in Happy Space Pod. Oh, very cool. Very cool. You are a deep thinker, Claire. <laughs> I love that you turned the acronym into something else. This is great. Thank you again for joining me today. It has been. Did I lose Oops. you, Mark? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I was just, I was just, I was just blown away by how you rechanged the HSP acronym into something else, and and so it was great. And Claire, thank you so much for being on the show today. You are absolutely brilliant, and I loved every minute of it. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Mark. A pleasure to chat with you. Why don't you let me know if this was of value to you? As always, my offer stands. If you would like 30 minutes of my time to brainstorm your business with you and your team, why don't you go ahead and book yourself on my online calendar? The link is down below. It's the one that's marked meetme.so slash As always, I am at your service. And if you haven't done so yet, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this feed? That'll give you the first dibs whenever I bring you fresh content that will hopefully help you work on your business, not just in your business. My name is Mark Hain. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com where you can subscribe to iTunes or by RSS so you'll never miss a show. Or go directly to markhainlive.com to watch the video edition of this podcast. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please give us a rating on iTunes or you can share it and tell your friends all about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception.